Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We'll only be able to hear that one more time because this is the second to the last week of this teaching series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 37. We'll go from 37 to 39. Exodus, the way out. We're going to talk about relationship with God. Also, grab your sermon notes out. And so let me ask you this question. What's the main difference between you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and a non-believer? Or what would be the main difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? That's, that's a good question, but uh, here's the answer, that you have a relationship with God and they don't. Would that, would that be a good answer? Yeah, that's exactly uh, the major difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we have a relationship with God and they don't. And that's what I want to talk about here this uh, morning, this weekend. And in fact, what does a relationship with God involve? You'll see on your notes there, let me summarize the uh, book of Exodus for you. Exodus chapters 1 through 19 is about redemption, redemption by God. He redeems us. We saw the story of uh, the Israelites being uh, rescued from Egyptian bondage. It's a great picture of our rescue from our enslavements, the things that enslave us. And, but it doesn't stop there. The story goes on to show us that you're not truly free until you are in a relationship with God. That's Exodus 20 through 40. That's the section we're in as we're heading towards the end of the book. And so redemption by God, chapters 1 through 19 of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 through 40, relationship with God. A statement that you're probably familiar with, it's used about seven times in the book, let my people go, and it doesn't stop there, so that they may serve me and worship me. And so you can see those two parts to freedom. We'll talk more about that next week. But also look at your sermon notes here. Let me define for you because we live in a culture today where people don't know the difference between religion or the gospel and the gospel. And if you were to ask most people in American culture today, what's the gospel? They wouldn't be able to define it. But let me give you a quick definition here. Religion says, if I obey, God will love and accept me. So get your act together and then maybe God will accept you and bring you into his family. That's, that's kind of the idea. That's religion, that's not the gospel. The gospel says if I know in my heart that God loves me and accepts me freely by grace, so by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then I will begin to obey out of an inner joy and gratitude. So my obedience follows my being loved and accepted through Christ Jesus. And so it begins, it brings about a transformation to, to my life. Now, in Exodus 25 through 27, chapters 25 through 27, you have the detailed instruction of building out the tabernacle. And then in Exodus 37 through 39, which is our text here, you have the almost verbatim obedience to building it out. Most commentators and most of the guys that I've, I've followed that taught through Exodus didn't even deal with any of this. And so we're going to deal with it, but I'm not going to read it. You're going to have to read it on your own, but I'm just going to summarize it for you so you kind of know what it's about. And so Exodus 25 through 27, detailed instruction. Exodus 37 through 39, the almost verbatim obedience to building it out. So Exodus 37, let me give you a summary. If you've got your Bibles open, you, I'll just summarize these three chapters for you. 
Uh, it's the making of the ark, the table of showbread, lampstand, altar of incense. And then in chapter 38, you have the, uh, the making of the altar of burnt offering, bronze basin, courtyard, and then the cost are totaled. And then Exodus 39, you have the making of the priestly garments, and then Mo- Moses inspects the completed work. But this is what it says in 39. This is what you've got to get, is that 10 times it says this. This is leading into kind of our thesis statement here this morning. Ten times it says this, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses did as the Lord had commanded him, obedience. And that obedience came out of this relationship he had with with God. Now, as we've talked about, the second part of the book of Exodus is really all about building out the tabernacle, tabernacle priests and sacrifices. And we know that that all points to to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the ultimate temple priest and sacrifice by grace through faith in him we become as his people a a temple the dwelling place of God priest who help others connect with God and a living sacrifice in how we live out our life we live out our life in such a way that we put on display the glory of of God and in the New Testament place and form are no longer the essence of worship as we see in the Old Testament, but spirit and truth is. It's about spirit and truth, and that's important to keep in mind. We'll talk more about it next week. Now, here's the thesis statement. The relationship with God that saving faith produces will involve three things here. So I was asking you, what's the difference between a believer and a non-believer? A believer has a relationship with God. Well, what does a relationship with God involve? Well, this is what it involves right here. So this obedience that comes as a result of my entering into this relationship with God by grace through faith in Christ, this is what it will produce. So take a look at your life. You may say you have a relationship with God, but does it look like this? I'm around a lot of people that say that they have a relationship with God, but I know that it doesn't look like this oftentimes. And so take a serious look at your life. And so this is what it is. The relationship with God that saving faith produces will involve hearing God's word, hearing God's word. So that's Exodus 25 through 27, detailed instruction on building out the temple. Remember Moses up on, up on the mount, uh, Mount Sinai, getting instruction from God, interacting with God, getting the details, getting the Ten Commandments, uh, how to build the tabernacle, priests, sacrifices, all of that. So it's hearing God's word. So the question would be, do you hear God's word? What does that mean? And then the next one is wrestling to to believe God's word. And that's Exodus 32 through 34. Remember the golden calf event? Remember what happened there? What are they doing there? They're wrestling to, to believe what God is saying as they're waiting down below the mountain, waiting for Moses to come off the mountain. They're wondering, what is taking them so long? So they build this calf. God's pretty upset. But God is very quick to forgive because he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and so he renews his covenant with them. And so you've got hearing God's word, you've got wrestling to believe God's word, and then the section, our section of study here this morning is Exodus 37 through 39, doing God's word, meticulous obedience in building the tabernacle. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to unpack each of those thoughts here this morning to try to understand what that means to see if indeed I have a relationship with God. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into uh, our notes here. So God, we love your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Help us, 
Help us to know deep in our hearts that you love us and accept us freely by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And out of our relationship with you, may we have an inner joy and gratitude, motivated obedience to learn more and more how to hear your word, wrestle to believe your word, and to do your word for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. So take a look at this first one. So relationship with God will involve, and I've got quite a number of verses here. So we're kind of, we're, we're taking the, the big idea there at the end of Exodus, and we're looking throughout Scripture in the fuller context of Scripture. So what does that mean to hear God's word, to wrestle, to believe God's word, and then to do God's word? Because that uh, is really revealing that I'm, I have a relationship with with God, and so the first fill in the blank is hearing God's word. How many are thinking that I'm getting weak on you because I'm going on sabbatical because I only gave you three fill in the blanks this morning? You guys thinking? You guys thinking that? They're thinking, man, the dude only gave us three fill in the blanks. What's he doing? He's getting wimpy on us. Okay, I'm not getting wimpy on you. Okay, I'm I'm going to work you over really good here this morning. I gave you a lot of verses though, and so we're going to really take a look at a lot of scripture and in the fuller context of Scripture. So hearing God's Word, that's the first thing. Relationship with God will involve hearing God's Word. That's Exodus 25 through 27, detailed instruction on building out the uh, tabernacle. Now, the first verse I gave you to help us to understand that is Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Many of you don't read God's word regularly because you don't believe that verse. You struggle in reading it because you don't, read, you don't believe that verse. God's word is not just print on a page. God's word is his active presence in our lives when we respond with faith and obedience. That's what he's saying here. The word of God is, is living and active. So when you pick up his, his word and you open it up early in the morning and you're reading, you have opportunity to interact with the living God, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. He speaks to us. His words are alive and active in our lives. And it, notice it says there that there's some, uh, there's some surgery that seems to kind of go on. Double-edged sword, ooh, that doesn't sound good. It's piercing to the division of soul and, and, and spirit. Yeah, 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 like a surgeon, God cuts us not to hurt us, but to heal us by exposing and removing the cancer that will ultimately destroy us. So that's part of this interaction with God. But God's word not only heals us, it's vital not only to our healing, but also our health and happiness. Matthew 4, 4, it says, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I, I know that we put a lot of energy in what we're going to eat throughout the day. We all do, don't you? I mean, what, I mean, when you first get up in the morning, do you guys, what's, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You're probably thinking about, hey, what I'm going to have for this, this morning's breakfast. And sometimes, some of us already have kind of a routine of where we go, and maybe some of us don't eat right away in the morning. We wait until later on in the day, but we kind of plan out our eating. We want to make sure that we eat good, nutritious food, and, um, and we want to get proper rest. And, and, and what he's saying here is that man cannot live on bread alone. In other words, there's more to life than just taking care of your physical life. With, use the same amount and even more so should we use more energy and thought and vision to our spiritual life as we use towards our physical life. 
Man cannot live on bread alone. You're not going to survive if you're just preoccupied with the physical. You need to think about the spiritual and hearing God's voice. You need to hear him. You need to interact with him. That's what he's saying. You cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Matthew 6, 11, in this, in the, when he talked about teaching us how to pray, part of that prayer he says, and give us today our daily bread. What does he mean by that? It's just not physical. He's talking spiritual. God, speak to me. I'm desperate to hear from you. When was the last time that you heard from God? You knew it was God and he was speaking to you. And it moved you, it stirred you, it convicted you, it comforted you, it changed you. When was the last time you knew you were interacting with the living God? That's, that's important. He's, you're not going to survive if you don't. If you don't interact with him regularly and consistently and have him speak to you, that's why, why we need it. There's a problem, though, with all of this, and that is the next verse on your notes, 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. Did you notice that? The natural person, the unbeliever, the person that does not have the Spirit of God living within them. It's folly, it's foolishness, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this, this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so you need the Holy Spirit within you to understand it, to apply it to your life for revelation. That's why we pray at the beginning of our studies. That's why we, we saturate you know, our whole time together with prayer because we are desperate to, for God to speak to us, to illuminate through the work and the power of his Holy Spirit, our hearts, our minds, our lives. And, and one of the ways that you know that you're, you're alive spiritually is this next verse. One of the marks of a spiritual life or a capacity to hear is your love for God's word. Look at this verse, uh, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That, that's when you know that your heart is alive with the Holy Spirit and you, you love his word. Now, my wife Nancy made a Dutch apple pie from scratch with butter brown sugar crumble on top this last week, and you heat it up for 20 seconds in the microwave and put a scoop of vanilla ice cream on top and chase it with a cup of your hot favorite roast coffee, and you'll get a glimpse of what the psalmist is talking about right here. You just get just a little glimpse, and so... Uh, I had that a few times this last week, and it was absolutely delicious. But I'm telling you, not more delicious than God's word to me each and every day and every day for me. It, listen to these words. Let me say them again. As he says here, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I love God's word. I love the fact that I can interact with the creator of the universe through his word that he wrote it down, and we can interact with him. And his word is alive and it's powerful. And because I've put my faith in his son, Jesus, my heart is alive, and I have a passion and love for Jesus and for his word and for him to speak to me. And that's, that's just a sign of good, good health. That, that means you have a relationship with God because you, you, you're hearing him. He's speaking to you. Here's the next thing. So relationship with God involves hearing God's word. The next one, and this is kind of more of the difficult thing, and this is what I have to do and I know that you have to do too, is wrestling to believe God's word. 
I have to wrestle to believe God's word. That's Exodus 32 through 34, the golden calf uh, scenario there. That's what they're doing. That's, they're wrestling. We don't understand. We don't believe. We've got unbelief in our heart. They build the calf. They begin to worship this calf. That's the struggle. The struggle in all of our hearts and lives is idolatry. There's things in our lives that are competing for our heart's deepest loyalties and affections. There's things all around us, and that's what they're struggling with. We wrestle to believe God's word. And of course, he renews his covenant with them in Exodus 34. Here's your first verse to help us to unpack this, to understand. What does it mean to wrestle to believe God's word? Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 tells us what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so I like those two words, sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. So if you want to be more sure and certain in life, the key is hearing God's word. It's interacting with God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, interacting with God, spending time in his word, allowing him to speak to you through his word, realizing that it's alive and powerful. He speaks to us. And my heart is alive. I long to hear from him. That's, that's healthy, healthy Christianity. And the, and the more you do that, the more you'll be able to, here's the next verse, You'll be able to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. You'll be able to walk by faith and not by sight. There's, a, there's different ways we could say that. So we, could, we're, we can walk by faith and not by, how could you replace that word sight? How about feelings? We, we live in a culture today where it says, follow your heart, be true to yourself. Follow your feelings. And our culture, it's crashing and burning around us because of that. It is a mess. And this is what the Bible's saying, no, 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 don't do that. You, you need to walk by faith, not your feelings. You need to walk by faith, not by your circumstances. You need to walk by faith, not by the people in your life that irritate you or bother you or, or disturb you in some way or another. No, that, the standard for your life, the way you live out your life is, is faith, it's God's word as he speaks to you, as you interact with him. That's the standard for your life. You don't feel your way into your beliefs. You believe your way into your feelings. It's your beliefs. See, if I'm, I'm feeling out of touch with God, I get back to my beliefs. I begin to think out the implications of what I believe. I go back to God's word. When I'm feeling like God's nowhere to be found, God, I don't think you're working in my circumstances right now. These are pretty negative. What do, I, what do I do? I don't go on my feelings. I go back to God's word. One of my favorite illustrations, though very tragic, of this is uh, when I worked out at Palo Verde. I was a pipe fitter welder out there for four years, and um, I got tired of driving uh, out there. With, and I was in a van pool, and it took about an hour and 20 minutes to drive out there. That was before the 101 and all the freeway system that we have here, that was back in 1907 or something. And uh, <laughs> no, it was a long time ago. It's almost hard to believe that we didn't have the 101 and we didn't have the different freeway systems, but it was, uh, 
But uh, it was before all of that, and so I began to fly out there from Deer Valley Airport, and we had landed a crop-dusting uh, little airstrip that was out there close to Palo Verde. There was a number of planes that would land out there. Kind of scary. I don't know what we were doing because guys would have to line their cars up and shine lights on the, when it was dark out early you know, in the, in the wintertime so that we could land out there. They'd shine their headlights out on the landing strip, and we'd land out there. But, uh, but this guy would not never fly when it was stormy, and I was glad that he wouldn't. But there was a... a, a a group of guys, there was four guys that would fly out of Prescott every morning to Palo Verde in their plane, and they flew into a storm. It was one a really crazy stormy day, and they flew into a storm, and the pilot was not instrument trained, and he became disoriented, and he flew the plane into the ground, killing all of them, killing all of them. We've got a couple of pilots, and I've, ta- I've asked them this question. I talked with them, a couple of pilots here in, in Desert Breeze, and, they, and I talked to them about this whole idea about instruments versus feelings, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't ever go by your feelings because you, your feelings are, uh, go haywire when you're up in the air. You don't know which end is up and which, which way is, and so you always go back to uh, the instruments. You look at the instruments. The instruments will tell you exactly what's going on. You don't ever, ever, ever go by feelings. And uh, that's why I love what C.S. Lewis says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Now, let me just say this. Some of you listen to your feelings way too much and you let your circumstance dictate your life. You need to get back to God's word because you're gonna crash your life. I've seen it over and over again. People crash all the time. And it's because, because you're letting your feelings run your life or you let your circumstances or you let the other people in your life uh, rule your life. You can't do that. You gotta get back to the, to the rule of God's word, to the authority, to the reality of God's word and continue to fly the plane through the storm. I know you can't see anything. It doesn't make any sense, but you gotta continue to keep your eyes on, on the instrument panel, God's word. He will get you through that storm. That's why C.S. Lewis, once again, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. A couple reasons why oftentimes people defect from the faith. I've seen it. I'm sure you have if you've been in, in the faith as long as I have. But there's two reasons people defect from the faith. One is they become disillusioned by the pain and the perplexity of suffering. They start asking all these questions like, where's God in all this? I don't see God's hand in this. This is too painful. This is too hard. What are they doing? They're looking at the circumstances and they're looking at their pain as opposed to looking at, at the instrument panel because the Bible tells us over and over again, don't do that. Look, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And, and another reason why people defect from the faith is not just they're disillusioned by, by the perplexity and the pain of suffering, but they're deceived by the pleasures of sin. They're deceived by the pleasures of sin. They think that actually they're going to be happier by chasing something in this world, some created thing, whatever it might be. It might be a person. It might be a job. It might be any number of things. And they actually think, and they believe the lie that goes all the way back to the garden, that God is somehow holding out on you. And you're not going to be happy if you obey him. And that's not true. You'll never be happier than when you are fully devoted to him and following him and loving him and enjoying him and living your life according to his word and looking at the instrument panel, so to speak, regularly and consistently. 
And, and, and so what we've got to do is when we get through the storms of life, I must believe that God is bigger and better than any pain of suffering and pleasure of sin. Therefore, we must do what Jesus said. Here's the next couple verses. These are great verses, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Just look at that verse for a minute. This is how you study God's word, really, as we're doing it here. But So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, so these are those that, okay, we believe in you, Jesus. Okay, here's a mark of if, if indeed you really believe. Because I, I hear people say, oh, I believe in God. But this, he's saying to us, this is what it looks like. And he's saying, if you abide, the word abide means to dwell, live, make your home in his word. Or better yet, his Word is at home in your heart. That's, that's what he's saying here. Then you are really my disciples. So, so your life is saturated with his word. You're hearing his word and you're, and you're wrestling to believe his word. That's, that's a sign that you're a disciple. And notice what he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. It's almost kind of like, and as you know the truth. The word know just doesn't mean intellectual. It's existential. It, you mean it. it. It gets a hold of your heart. You begin to realize you're interacting with the God of the galaxies who loves you and adores you, and he's leading you, and he's guiding you. And you've, you've had an, an encounter with him. And the best defense to the lies we hear in our head, the questions, doubts, and fears, is the rehearsal of the truth of God in our heart. Some of us are run ragged because we have all these lies floating around in our head that are beating the living daylights out of us. And if you could understand the truth, the truth will bring freedom to your life. Lies bring bondage. A lie believed to be true will affect your life as if it were true. So if you, don't, if you think somehow God's abandoned you, he's not involved in your life, you're all alone, you actually believe that, it's going to affect your life, even when it's not true, because the truth brings freedom. You need the truth to bring freedom in your life and into your life. My wife and I were talking about the two American cultural icons that committed suicide this last week, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. And I understand that the cause of depression that leads to suicide is multidimensional. There's a body, soul, and spirit element. But believe me, if you don't deal with the spirit element, the fact that we have meaning and purpose that comes to us from the creator of the universe, and you're trying to do it on your own just with body and soul without understanding the broader meaning of life, you're doomed. You are flat out doomed. God gives us a purpose. Here's the instrument panel that God gives us. He gives us a purpose, a meaning, a hope, a happiness that all the success in this world can't give to you and all the suffering in this world can't take from you. Oh my goodness, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain had all the success in the world. They lived in New York City. They had all the, all the money and all this opulent life, but that wasn't enough. We know. We know that's not enough. You've got to know the creator of the universe and live the life that he's established for you. That's the place where you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction. And so we've got to 
do God's word, doing God's word. So, so here's the last section of this. So we've got to hear God's word. We've got to hear God's word. So people who have a relationship with God hear God's word, and then they wrestle to believe God's word. There's this wrestling going on deep within our heart, and then, and then we've got to do God's word. We're doing God's word. In James 1, through 25, but be doers, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Stop there just for a minute. Here's, here's what you need to know, is that some of you are deceiving yourself when you come in here and think that, I heard it, that's enough, but if you can't recall it and you don't retain it, then you've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. And I know not everybody takes notes, and that's cool. I'm, I'm okay with if you don't take notes. In fact, let me see who's not taking notes right now. No, I'm cool with that. I understand. Some people are better not to take notes because they're too distracted and they can hear better. And at some point, even if you are taking notes, you ought to probably put your notes down at some point and go, whoa, I want to see this Savior that he's talking about more clearly. But I understand. Whatever works best for you, but the idea here, notice what he says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. We walk out of here and we forget what we even heard. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What is he talking about here? Here's what he's talking about here. Whether you take notes or not, that you're able to walk out of here, and if I were to come up to you, I could ask you and say, hey, what is God speaking to you this morning? And you're thinking about that. You're reflecting on it. You're responding to it. Yeah, that God spoke to me this this morning through his word. This is where he's dealing with me. I was really convicted here, and yet I was comforted over here. See, you could actually articulate that. You would say, yeah, I, I, I encountered him. I, this is what he's wanting to say to me this morning. It is taking a truth inside and making it a part of you through memorization and meditation. So, so let me ask you what I asked my wife this last week, and I asked our staff this last week. What verses are you memorizing and meditating on of, of recent? I heard the same sound with them. It was just like crickets. Yeah, it was just kind of like, oh. And they, I'm sure everybody, you may say, are we, are we supposed to do that? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinner or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in God's word and he meditates on it day and night. That's just one, one verse. That's Psalm 1. Day and night. Are you a disciple? Because if you are, you're going to live in his word. You're going to abide in his word. You're going to dwell in his word. It's going to be a part of your life. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to go, oh my goodness, this is what God spoke to me. I need to think about this all week long. I'm going to reflect on it. I'm going to pick my notes up every day this next week and reflect on this verse. I'm going to meditate and memorize this verse. And I'm going to make it a part of my life. And then I'll be able to respond to the circumstances of life. See, we've got to get good at not only being able to apply the truth of God specifically to where our heart is most restless, but we've got to have our hearts so filled up with his word that immediately when we face the, the trials and temptations of life, my goodness, we've got an arsenal to draw from. God speaks to us at those moments. 
If you guys had any idea that God speaks to me so powerfully, it's almost unbelievable sometimes. When I go and minister to people, God will speak things to me from things that I have memorized and meditated on. Went with a couple this last week, and it's pretty critical. This couple is uh, the possibility that he, he might not have a long time to live, and they attend Desert Breeze, and it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a tragedy. He's a young, young dad, grandpa, uh, and, um, but he's, uh, when I got there and I begin to quote to them Psalm 23, I've been meditating on Psalm 23, and it's just been so rich. I've been thinking about a life without lack. I read a book called The Life Without Lack and really contentment in Christ, and, that, and as I began to meditate on that, there was such a contentment that I began to experience as a result of that. That and, I, and so I quoted that to them, a number of other verses that I quoted. By the way, I, the only thing that I could ever give anybody is what I've already downloaded into my own heart and spirit. And so I felt like God was speaking to me, and I began to share that. And his wife said, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what I was reading last night. And the Lord is speaking to me so strongly through that verse. And I go, that's, that's great. And he says, Let's, let me read that before I go into surgery. Let's read that before I go into surgery. And I said, I think there's a section here in particular that applies to you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And that's what they're going through. They're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And they had the, that arsenal, so, so to speak, to draw upon. Let me, uh, let me make this practical here uh, for you. Um, how do you do this? How do, how do we wrestle with this? I've got some more uh, notes there that I want us to kind of walk through this. There's two kinds of truth. So as you pick up God's word, and I would encourage you to pick his word up. If it's been a while, pick it up this next week. And as you're reading through, and there'll be a verse that maybe pop off the page to you, this is, there's two questions you want to ask yourself. Is, is this a belief verse or is it a behavior verse? Very simple, very simple. So what should I believe? So the Bible is going to tell us what we should believe and then how I should behave. What should I believe? How I should behave. By the way, this is how the Apostle Paul teaches the Bible. This is how he, I mean, he writes the Bible. He wrote the Bible, okay? But he, I'm sure he taught it too. But he wrote the Bible. And when you look at Ephesians, for instance, Ephesians, that's how his book is laid out. First three chapters, this is what we believe. Next three chapters, this is how we behave. By the way, uh, that's not some kind of unique thing. That's exactly how we're wired up because if you don't like how you're behaving, it's not behavioral modification. That's not the Christian life. It's about changing your beliefs. You've got to change your beliefs. And so what he's saying is that if you believe this, if you understand the gospel, oh my goodness, this is how you're going to behave. This is how you're going to respond. Oh, by the way, if you're not responding to life in a way that's, that's God-honoring and Christ-like, it's because your beliefs aren't good. So it's the, it's the root, your beliefs, that determines the fruit of your lives. And so typically, everything you read will fit into one of those two categories. It'll either be a, a belief uh, passage or a behavior passage. It's almost kind of like he's saying, hey, here's the wealth that we have in him. This is our beliefs, oh, and this is how we walk it out. Here's our riches as believers in Christ. Now, here's our responsibility as we live that out and show the world. So, okay, so let's do this. You can yell out to me what you think this verse is, which category this verse fits into. I'm going to tell you a verse. I'll quote a verse to you, and you yell out to me whether it's a behavior verse or a belief verse. Okay, you guys good with that? Okay, here we go. It's Proverbs 12:18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What, what is it? Behavior, behavior yeah. It's a behavior verse. Would you agree with that? 
So, so I, I gave you a couple other ways of looking at that. So, so you come across that verse and you go, wow, that stood out to me. Because I, I've been hurt by people's words. And I'm sure, yep, I've hurt people with my words. And so a couple of questions is, that, is what you want to ask is that what should I think, feel, and do in response to this biblical truth? So we're doing God's word right now, okay? This is the section that we're looking at here. So what should I think about this? Well, I just thought, man, I've been hurt by people's words. Reckless words pierce like a sword. And I've, I've been reckless with my words. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. What should I feel? Well, I'm hurt from those in the past, but I can get over it because God can bring healing to my heart. But boy, do I want to be a source of healing to others that have been hurt by others. Lord, help me to do that. That's what I want to do. That's how you'd begin to apply it. And if that verse was explosively alive in your heart, it would change the way you talk to others. You're doing God's word. Okay, let me give you another one. Jeremiah 29, 11. Is this a, a belief or a behavior? Many of you guys already know this because as I say that, uh, wh- how does that verse go? It says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What, what category? Belief or behavior? Believe. Believe. You come across that verse and you go, wait, wait, wait. These people are in exile. They're not even at home anymore and God's giving them hope? Yes. So if I actually believe this, so what should I think, feel, and, and do as a result of that first? That's going to be the first question. Think, well, wait a minute. There's hope even, in, even when I'm working a really crappy job? Yeah. I can have hope even in a real bad job or, or a hard relationship? Yes. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. So that should change my, my disposition. That should change my mood and change how I'm responding to that because God is with me. And so if that verse was explosively alive in my heart, would that change me? Wouldn't it change my life and how I'm responding to the people, things, and circumstances of my life? Absolutely. We're doing God's word. We're thinking out the implications of it. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us through that. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Okay, let me give you another one. Here we go. My wife, when I asked her this, so what is, what is God speaking to you? And this is what she said. She shared this. It was actually more of a, a New Testament verse. There's a New Testament version of this. And then we began to talk a little bit more about the Old Testament version of this. But it's Psalm 55, 22. And it says, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. And she says, I need to get better at that because I'm not doing a very good job. I'm not really trusting God. I'm kind of a little bit too worried and anxious. And I need to do a better job with that. So is that a, is that a belief verse or a behavior verse? Both. Yes, it's a both verse. It's a both verse. It's both belief and behavior. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. There's your behavior. So, so you got to think about that. So what does that mean? You better figure it out. Because you got to know how to do it. Because if you do it, then what's the belief? The belief is that cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will do what? He will sustain you. If you're not feeling sustained and strengthened, it's because you're not casting your burdens upon the Lord. So as you learn to cast your burdens upon the Lord, he will sustain you and he will not allow the righteous to be shaken. Why are you shaken? Well, I must not be very righteous. Well, your righteousness doesn't have anything to do so much with how good you are. It has to do with whether or not you put your trust in Christ. That's the righteousness that he's talking about there. So does that make sense? That's how you live that out. So so you've got to hear God's word. You've got to wrestle to believe God's word, and you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Another quick uh, illustration here. I've been, uh, I was meditating on uh, Psalm 73, and uh, the psalmist is uh, struggling. Oh, my goodness. 
Um, he's struggling, but, but listen to what he says at the front end of it. I'm going to quote the last part of it. But the front end of it, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so he's, just, he's establishing a truth. So, so I, I believe that. I believe, God, you're good. God, you've got me covered. You're going to take care of me. You love me. So, so I, hear, I hear God's word, but here's where the wrestling with God's word takes place. But he says, but as, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And as you continue on, this is what's going on. I mean, this is crazy. And this is what we all struggle with. He's looking around, and he's seeing kind of a the Hollywood crowd or maybe the Madison Avenue crowd or, or, the, or the arrogant, you know, wealthy that they don't have any problems and look at all the money they have and they seem to live very opulent lives and they're very successful in so many different ways and I'm serving you and I'm getting the living daylights beat out of me. That's what he's actually grappling with. He's struggling with all of that. He's going, this doesn't make sense. God, I know you're good. I know you're good and yet I, I, I see this happening. What is this about? In fact, as you read through that song, he even gets to a place of just flat out being bitter. He's really struggling. But he doesn't say anything. He's very quiet. He says, good thing I kept my mouth quiet because I was like, ah, I, I thought it, it's, it's vain, it's empty for me to continue to follow you, God, because I'm, I'm not getting what I think I really deserve from you and if you told me you're good, I'm not getting it. And, and check this out, verse 17. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And then he had a whole new perspective. And the verses that I've been meditating on, in fact, that whole chapter is, is a great chapter. He just really, as he's unpacking that, he's, he's doing what, what I'm teaching you here to do this morning. And he gets to the place there where he says, he says this, whom have I in heaven but you? In other words, one of these days, I'm gonna exit this place, I'm gonna be with you for all eternity. And you, you make heaven heaven because I'm gonna be with you, God. And, and then he says, and what... What, do I, what on earth do I desire more than you? And this is what he's saying. All the money and prosperity and painless living doesn't even come close to having you in my life. And then he says, my, uh, my flesh and my heart may fail me, but you are the strength of my heart, my portion forever. And he just uses this rich language. I've been meditating on that lately, and oh my goodness, it has been so rich to me in understanding the wealth of his presence, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, the significance of being called a child of God. There's nothing on this planet that compares to all of that. Let me read a verse, and then we'll, we will pray. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 and 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Do you hear what he's saying? Okay, everybody listen. I'm almost finished. If you don't get this, you got to get it. You got to get this. He's saying, you want to storm-proof your life? It's more than just hearing his word. You've got to wrestle to believe it and then do it. And that person is building their life upon a rock. And not if the storms, but when the storms rage. Because storms are going to rage in your life. And you need to build your life upon the solid rock of God's word. And then he goes on to make this contrast. And he says... 
and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, so you hear it, but you don't do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Next weekend, Exodus finale. Moses, Moses finishes building the tabernacle, and guess who shows up? The glory of God. And so we're going to talk about life in God's presence, life in God's presence. What does that look like? What does that mean? Let's pray. So Father God, storm-proof our lives as we build upon the rock of hearing your word, wrestling to believe your word, and doing your word out of a heart filled with joy and gratitude because you love and accept us through the saving work of your son, our Savior Jesus. In his beautiful name we pray. And everyone who agrees with this said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys.